Today we're going to be talking about church family. The good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly. And as we get started, I'd like to do a little survey, okay? I want you to think about how many churches over the span of your life you've been a member of or maybe an active participant in, okay? So think about the churches. For some of you, it'll just be this one. Others of you, several. So how many churches have you been involved in? All of you, if this is the only church, just one church in your life you've really been active in, raise your hand. Let me see. One church, all right? I see a few over here. Okay, a few of you. How many of you have been active participants in two churches in your lifetime? Raise your hand. Up high. Come on. Okay. What about three? Okay. Four? Okay, I see you back there. Five? Now, the, the middle service with older people, there's a whole bunch of them been five. But let me ask you another question. How many of you have ever been active in a perfect church? Raise your hand. Okay, that, that's about what I expected. Nobody. Because there's no such thing, right? No perfect church. A lot of good ones. A few dysfunctional ones. But church, church is church. And I want to talk about it today as we look in First Timothy, Second Timothy rather, because um, you see so much good. You will see some bad. Uh, before, before coming to Rock Hill in 1987, Monisa and I lived in Sumter, South Carolina. And for four years, I pastored Bethel Baptist Church, a, a, a large rural church. And we have a lot of great memories from there. A few not so great ones, but a lot of great memories from those four, four, four years. And unfortunately, since then, that church went through a season of conflict. You hear about that from time to time, right? And has declined quite a bit. But the reason I bring it up is recently I connected with their brand new pastor. But I also recently connected with a middle-aged man named Jamie. When I was a pastor there in the mid-80s, Jamie was a teenager in the church. Today he's in ministry. He's an associate pastor on staff at a church in Honeypath. And so we, we connected the other day over in Spartanburg. So last week I drove down to to Chester and he drove over from Honeypath and we met for lunch just to catch up and he had some you know things about ministry he wanted to talk with me about as an older more experienced minister so we we spent a couple of hours over chicken and dumplings talking about all this stuff and and uh, we we reminisced you know we reminisced uh, about the past and people there at uh, at Bethel and and uh, and I learned that Calvin for instance has dementia and I, and, and I asked him about his grandmother, Miss, Miss, Miss Jean. I want to show you a picture because when we were living there, Miss Jean invited Monisa over to the house one day, taught her how to make that. That's our chocolate log. And it's good. And our son would disown his mother if she did not make one of those for him every year at Christmas. So when we get together... We have Monisa make us an extra serving in a pan of that white, sugary, creamy, good, good stuff in the middle. So when Stephen and I slice a piece of it, we spoon more of that on top of it. And it's, it's good, okay? That's, that's Christmas at our house. And uh, so Miss Jean has Monisa come over to the house and spends a day with her, teaching her how to do that because it's not easy. And uh, so we, so great memories of Miss Jean. Well, I had heard that Miss Jean had died. And so I was asking Jamie about his grandmother. 
she had died two years ago. She was 98, and we just shared stories about Miss Jean. Now, oh, listen, that's 35 to 40 years ago. And I can still in my mind hear Miss Jean saying to me in her southern drawl, now, preacher, that's how she, preacher. I mean, almost four decades later, I still have that sweet sound in my head because that's what church is. Church is not an institution. Yeah, yeah, this is an institution. I get it, but church is not an institution. It's not this building. Church is people. People. And most of them are good. Most of them love Jesus. Now, are they flawed? <laughs> yeah, we all are, right? But they're they're good people, and they love Jesus, and they're growing, and 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 they're 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 trying. They're good people. Now, do you have some some hypocrites? Yeah, you'll have one or two. You have some people that uh, you know used to be really active in church, but they, for whatever reason, made some bad decisions and fell into sin, and man, it hurt you and disappoint you as they make a mess of the life. Yeah, you're you're going to have that. Do you bump into somebody at church occasionally who doesn't have good social skills and? They come across more mean than they mean to, or maybe they're just mean. Yeah, there's a few of them, right? But most people in the church love Jesus, and 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 they're the real deal. And maybe today we're more aware of what happens than in the past because of media and social media. I mean, if, if some church has a problem out in California, I know about it. And so it can make everything seem bigger or worse than it than it really is a few weeks ago a few weeks ago i was part of a pastor's panel for the baptist college ministry student ministry at winthrop university students had submitted questions and there was a panel of us and we were answering those questions and one of the questions a student submitted is is what's on the screen here it says the student asked is it wrong to let sinful things that happen in the church affect your view of the church How do you not let the people of the church affect your view of the church? I would imagine there are people in this room right now and others watching by live stream or on television. And you have thought something like that yourself. And younger people especially. And and, and if you're like me and you didn't grow up in church... I was a teenager when I started attending church, became a believer, follower of Jesus. And, and that's your background. And you get saved and you start going to church and you almost have this idealistic view that, you know, church is this haven of just almost heaven-like perfection. And then you realize it's people with flaws and all, right? So how are we supposed to feel about that? How are we supposed to deal with that that's a good question and so i want you to take your bible and open it with me in the new testament to the book of second timothy the very last chapter chapter four of second timothy because we're going to see some things in this chapter of the bible that will answer that question help us understand how to react how to feel how to deal with stuff because the church the good and the bad the beautiful and the ugly. Now, as you're opening your Bible, this letter to Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul. 
Now, you need to get this in your mind. Paul was a man who spent his life planning or starting new churches. And he trained preachers and missionaries to go to different places and plant or start, grow new churches. And in our New Testament, many of these books are letters he wrote to those pastors, those leaders, those churches, helping them know how to deal with problems and things they were facing, okay? Timothy, he's writing this letter to Timothy, a longtime friend and ministry associate of his, and Timothy is in Ephesus helping the church there, which is today that would be in western Turkey. As he writes this letter... Paul is in prison in Rome, in Italy. We know from the book of Acts that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and transported over two years to Rome. He was in prison. But the best we can tell from the Bible and other sources, Paul was likely probably released from prison in Rome, spent a few years doing more ministry, and then was arrested again a second time. And he's in prison in Rome. And that's when he writes this letter to Timothy. And he knows he's about to be executed. He's about to be beheaded by the Romans. And, and, and Paul sends this letter and says, Timothy, I want you to come to me quickly. Here it is at the end, because it's in that same chapter. Earlier in that chapter, Paul says, I know that the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith, and his force there's laid up for me in heaven a crown of righteousness. He knows the end is coming. And he says, Timothy, I want you with me. That was the person he was closest to. And so he writes this letter. And at the end of the letter, he mentions a lot of people. In fact, he mentions 18 people by name. 16 of them are faithful servants of Jesus. Preachers, lay people. Two of them are not. And this is the part of these letters we often just skip right over. Don't think there's much there. It's just this person says, hey, they greet you. And we think, man, there's no, there is beautiful truth and teaching in these verses. And some of the people he mentions here, all we know about them is what he says in this brief few words. But others of them we know a little bit more because they are mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next few minutes kind of doing a Bible history lesson, okay? So hang in here with me. We're going to walk through those names. And then after that, we're going to see what God can teach us. What are the lessons we can learn? What are the takeaways? from the story of these people that will help us know how as followers of Jesus to deal with church the good and the bad are you with me that's where we're going okay so let's look at these starting in verse 9 Paul's writing to Timothy and he says make every effort to come to me soon Timothy I need you here quickly I don't know how much time I have left then in verse 10 for Demas by the way these are our uh, Roman names, Greek names, Hebrew names, they're not American names. Except maybe Demas. What was it the headhunters had? Demas Walker, that song, country song years ago. So maybe one of them is an American name. I don't know. 
But anyway, let's pick it up in verse 10. He said, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, that's in central Turkey. Titus to Dalmatia. Dalmatia is uh, north, uh, it's, it's up in the Bosnia, Croatia, Herzegovina, something like that area, that part of the world. And uh, verse 11, only Luke is with me here in Rome in the prison. He said, and, and Timothy, when you come in verse 11, pick up Mark and bring him with you. Verse 12, but Tychicus, how many of you would, how many, how many, anybody name your child that? Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, which is in western Turkey. And when you come, bring the cloak or coat which I left at Troas with Carpus. Carpus is somebody Paul had stayed with and probably that's where he was when he was arrested and was taken away and wasn't able to take his personal possessions with him so he left his coat and his books and his parchment things he wrote letters on there in Troas with Carpus and Carpus took care of them and then he said in verse 14 Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm the Lord will repay him according to his deeds now Paul is not praying for God to punish Alexander, he's quoting an Old Testament verse which states the principle that when someone does other people wrong, God will eventually judge that person. And then he says in verse 15, Timothy, be on guard against, your, against him yourself. In other words, don't turn your back on Alexander because you can't trust him. That's the Steve Hogg paraphrase. For he vigorously opposed our teaching. Verse 16, at my first defense... You know, like when people go to court today, they, they usually go more than once. You have a, you know, you have the, the first time you show up, pretrial hearing and all that. So Paul was, was taken to Roman court under this second imprisonment more than once. And he said, the first time, there was no one there supporting me. All deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So that through me, the proclamation, the preaching, teaching, speaking of the gospel of Jesus might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever. Then in verse 19, would you greet Prisca, that's Priscilla, and Aquila, her husband, and the household of Onesiphorus. Verse 20, Erastus remained at Corinth, that's in Greece, but uh, Trophimus I left at Miletus. Then verse 21, make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Putins and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren, all the brothers and sisters in the church here in Rome. And whew, that's a lot of people. And as I mentioned, a lot of times we come to those parts of the Bible and we just skip right over them. I think they are some of the most beautiful parts of the Bible. Because it paints the picture that the ministry Paul was doing, these churches and stuff, is about people. And he's sending greetings. Like the other day when Jamie and I met down in Chester for lunch and we were catching up, when we finished and it was time to leave, I said, now, Jamie, say hi to your mom Phyllis for me. And tell your sister, tell your sister um, Kelly, I said, hey. 
And we mentioned a few others, and he did the same with me. We do that when we talk to people. We're getting ready to leave, right? Say hi to so-and-so, right? Tell them, you know, I was thinking about him. I, uh, I hope to see him again someday. That's what Paul is doing in this letter. He's saying, people who are here with me, they're saying hi to you. And by the way, Timothy, I want you to know where some of your other Christian friends, I want you to know where they are now and what they're doing. He's updating Timothy on these other believers. And it paints the picture that the church is about the people. It's about the gospel. Yes, there's a location and there's a building and there's an institution, but it's about people. So what does all that teach us? What does that tell us about church, what we can expect? And I guess we can expect rain this afternoon. I hear thunder. What we can expect and how we should react to what happens? Well, there's, I want you to jot these down. I'm going to be real fast. Here's seven, seven lessons, seven takeaways from what Paul said about these, these individuals, these 18 individuals that can help us. Dealing with church, good and the bad, and how we should respond. Okay, here's, here's the first one. Number, number one is love, love and support the local church. Love and support the local church church that's what paul was doing now get this picture he's in prison he knows that sometime in the near future he will probably be beheaded for preaching jesus and he's still doing everything he can to help those local churches he's sending this person there to help that church another person over here to a different country to help that church he never quit he never gave up he continued to love the church and support and serve the local church. And, and, and the 16 of the 18 who were faithful to Jesus, every one of them was involved in a local church. People will sometimes casually say, oh, I, I, I can love Jesus and I don't need the, the church. Really? Show me in the Bible where you get that. I mean, think about the New Testament books. Romans is a letter written to the church in the city of Rome. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, letters written to the church in Corinth in Greece. Philippians, a letter written to the church in Philippi. Colossians, a letter written to the church in Colossae. Revelation, a letter written to seven churches in seven cities in western Turkey. On and on I could go. The New Testament is clear that God's people are everywhere, but we get together, and that's what a local church is. It's your family. And one of the takeaways is when you read these letters, and what we just read a moment ago is the local church matters. So love it and support it, warts and all. That's the first lesson. And by the way, the people he, he mentions there, they, they served God in different ways. Some were preachers, some were lay people, some served in big ways, others served in little ways. Because every, every part matters. Second lesson, De develop relationships with your church family. 
I mean, why, why did Paul mention these names? They were people he knew and cared about. Some of them knew each other. He was updating them. He was intentional about these relationships. It's, it's the reason that when Monisa and I talk about Miss Jean, we smile, even though that was 40 years ago. It's about people. It's about relationships. And can I say this very lovingly? To develop relationships with other believers, you need to hang out with them, spend time with them. You don't develop relationships with people that you don't spend time with. And that's why life groups, just one reason that life groups are important, that D groups matter, that serving in a ministry with others is important. It's hard to get to know people well if all you do is sit in worship one hour a week. It's just hard. So be intentional at developing relationships. I mean, that's what Paul did. And he encourages Christians to do. And you're going to be closer to some than you are others. I mean, here he is at the point of death. He wants Timothy. Above everybody else, he wants Timothy to be with him. I mean, you, you think, I, I read all the passages, but I didn't tell you all the stories about all, of, all those people. You talk about relationships? Luke, who was mentioned, traveled with Paul on his first two missionary journeys, was with him when he was arrested in Jerusalem and spent two years with him as he was gradually escorted to Rome for his first imprisonment. And then in this story, guess what? Luke is with him when he's in prison the second time. That's relationships. Timothy, he trusted Timothy. All, all these names just... Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. When he was a teenager, he knew all the disciples because his mom had a big house in Jerusalem where the Christians after the resurrection of Jesus gathered. He knew all the disciples personally. And when he's an older teenager or a young adult, Paul's going on his first missionary journey and he and Barnabas go and they take Mark with him and Mark quits along the way and goes home. And then a little later, it's time to go on a second trip. And Barnabas wants to take Mark. And Paul says, no, I don't think I can count on him. And they have a disagreement, a strong disagreement. And, and Paul goes and takes Silas. And Barnabas takes Mark. But here it is at the end of, of, of his life. And they're still in relationship and working together. And Paul says, Timothy, when you come to me, bring Mark with you. Were there people that let him down? Yeah, Demas. Demas had been with Paul during much of his preaching ministry and actually had been with Paul supporting him during his first imprisonment in Rome. But he tells us that Demas fell in love with the world and abandoned Paul, and most likely it means he abandoned the faith, walked away from Jesus, and that had to hurt Paul. Look at all those names that he mentions. Their stories are, are powerful. Christians, all we know about Christians is that he stuck with Paul. And Paul sent him to Galatia, which is central Turkey, to plant churches. 
Titus, the book of Titus in your New Testament that I preached from the last three Sundays, Paul trusted him and sent him to Dalmatia that we mentioned a moment ago. And then those names you don't know much about, Tychicus, you know who he was? He was a church leader that Paul trusted to help collect the offering for poor people that was taken to Jerusalem. Paul trusted him to carry his personal letters to the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae. Carpus, that man who had a home in Troas, probably where Paul was staying when he was arrested the second time to, to, to go to Rome. And, and, and Carpus looked after his personal possessions while Paul was in prison until Timothy could come and get them and take them to Paul. Priscilla and Aquila, great leaders and teachers in the early church who worked with Paul quite a bit. And there was this great preacher in the, in, in the, gospel, in the, in the New Testament named, named uh, Apollos. And it was, it was Aquila and Priscilla who trained him and discipled him. The household of Onesiphorus lived in Ephesus, but earlier in Timothy we learned that he actually came to Rome and looked up Paul in prison and cared for him till he went back to his home in Ephesus in another country. Erastus helped Paul in three different churches. Trophimus was with Paul when he was arrested in Jerusalem. On and on. Here's all these people. And so the first lesson is it's about relationships. Now, some of them are painful. Demas abandoned Paul, turned his back on the faith. Alexander violently opposed Paul. But Paul was about the people. And so love and support your church. Develop relationships with your church. And number three, don't let disagreements in relationships. Don't let disagreements in relationships. I mean, here Paul and Barnabas had this big falling out, this big difference of opinion about John Mark. Didn't in the relationship. And later Mark is with Paul serving together. Is there anybody in this church you've ever disagreed with? You ever disagree with your wife or husband? Don't let disagreements in relation. I'm not talking about people who are abusive. Disagreements shouldn't end relationships. Number four, don't let others determine your faithfulness. Don't let others determine your faithfulness. When, when Demas turned his back on the faith and turned his back on Paul, I'm sure that hurt him, but he did. Paul didn't give up on Jesus or give up on the church when it happened. When Alexander was opposing him, he didn't quit. When he, when he went to court the first time in Rome and he was there by himself and nobody was there to speak in his defense, he didn't say, all those bad believers. No, he said, may God not hold it against them. I, God took care of me. He didn't, he didn't quit. He didn't give up. I mean, you stand before Jesus on Judgment Day, and, and he says, why were you not faithful? And you say, well, you know, so-and-so down there, they disappointed me, so I just gave up. Really? Really? I mean, if we gave up every time our spouse hurt our feelings, we wouldn't be married. <laughs> don't, let, don't, 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 don't let other people determine your faithfulness. Number five, keep proper perspective. Keep proper perspective. Are there, are there hypocrites in church? Sure. Are there people who will disappoint you? 
Yes. Are there times when you will disappoint others? Yes. Are there people who are faithful, but they fell into sin and made a ruin of everything, and that man that just really discouraged you and disappointed you? Yes. But most are true believers, flawed, but true believers and do well. Don't don't be blinded by one or two bad apples. I mean, you ever go to the grocery store and you're gonna buy some apples, and the first one you pick up's got a big bruised spot on it, somebody had dropped it and it's bruised. What do you do? You say, well, because that one apple I picked up is bruised, I'm just not gonna buy any apples. No, you put it down and you find good apples. Are there some bad apples in churches? Yes, but it's a small number of people. Focus on the good apples because if you don't keep perspective, you'll never eat apples. Think about your family, your extended family. Any of you have any crazy uncles? Any weird cousins? But we have family and we love family and you don't run away from your whole family because of that crazy uncle or weird cousin, do you? If you, if you, if you, if you keep running away, you're going to end up being really, really, really lonely. And the same thing is true with church. So keep perspective. Lesson number six. I've got two more. Number six, trust God and seek to honor him. In verses 17 through 19, Paul said, I trusted God, and he strengthened me. And no matter what happens, even if I'm martyred for the faith, he's going to bring me safely home to heaven. He continued to trust God and wanted to honor God. And that's what we need to do. And then the last lesson, last takeaway, is keep serving him and stay focused. Keep serving him and stay focused. Because in verse 17, he said when he was, when he was in court, God was still giving him an opportunity to proclaim, to proclaim the gospel so that all the Gentiles could hear. Easter's coming up. I hope you're more concerned about who you can invite to church on Easter than you are what you're going to cook for dinner. Did I just meddle a little bit? Paul stayed focused on the mission. And that's what we need to do. Stay focused on the mission. Now, as I wrap this up, are there ever times when someone is in a church that is so dysfunctional, so messed up, they need to leave? Yes. Of course, you might be in a really messed up place at some point in your life. And it's okay to get out. But that's not most churches. And here's the other thing. There's never a time in your life when you don't need God's people. Never a time in your life when you don't need a local church. So if you so so get in a healthy one and support it and love it and serve. You know, and I said these people served in different ways, big ways and little ways. Yesterday when we had the, the egg hunt out front for the children. Now, if I said this already, tell me, because preaching three times, I don't remember what I said when. Um, we had that egg hunt out there. And there's some lay people in this church. They were out there with those kids. And they're taking these balloons, and they're making hats and animals. 
so the kids can have fun, just giving their time on a Saturday afternoon to serve kids. And some out there, one I heard say, I'm not an artist doing face painting because little kids love face painting, you know. That's the church. That's the church. So the question, are you helping us be the church? It's quite simple. Are you helping us be the church? Are you loving the church? Are you supporting the church? Are you serving people? Serving people. Are you focused on a bad apple or two? Are you letting some bad apple determine your faithfulness? Are you intentional at connecting with people and developing relationships? Are you inviting people? Are you seeking to honor Jesus with all you do, no matter what the circumstance? What's what's one thing? What's one thing you can do to help our church be the church? One thing you can do to serve and support and love this church. And in doing that, love and serve people. Little people, older people, hurting people, even people who are not here yet because they're not yet followers of Jesus. I want us to stand. The team's going to lead us in singing. This is a time of worship, a time of invitation. And I'm inviting you to come and kneel at this altar. And talk to to the Lord about that one thing you can do to help this church be the church. The one thing you can do. Maybe you need to get on your knees at the kneeling bench here and, and and thank God for your church. And thank God for the good apples. And the good things that are part of your church. Get on your knees and pray and say, Lord, I haven't been serving you. I haven't been helping. Today I repent of that and I'm going to start helping.